Hello everyone, hello, hello, hello. I'm Juana Yordakescu and you're listening to the We Include podcast. Here we introduce you the newest diversity and inclusion solutions in the market and talk to founders who, like me, think that businesses for good are good business. Today we're landing in Germany, home of Sara Cordivano. Sara is an expert in the field of diversity, equity and inclusion with a focus on implementing successful DEI strategies and developing initiatives to create more inclusive workplaces, which is what we're all about here. Sara was awarded the Zena DNI Leader of the Year Award recently, and it's a big thing, folks. She is also a professional speaker and writer, having recently published a marvelous book, which you have to read, especially if you are a DEI professional in Europe. It is called DEI, How to Succeed at an Impossible Job. In this episode, we uncover how DEI careers are being made, how DEI solutions benefit the business ecosystem, and try to predict what's next for inclusion in the workplace. I loved hearing Sarah's story, and I hope you will too. Hello, Sarah. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing well. Nice to see you. Oh my God. I've been waiting for this for like years, I think. I've been following your work. And for those listener listening, um, I think Sarah is somebody to know from the DEI space, specifically in the European uh, area. And I'm very, very excited to have you over today. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, Sarah, for... For me, there are a couple of things that stand out from your career, but I think in the past year, I've seen you almost everywhere in terms of you are a published author, you are an award-winning um, personality, I would say, and knowledge expert in the DEI space. You have changed uh, organizations from the inside for the past more than a decade, I guess. Uh, and I know you're on to great things as well. So uh, those are the things that we see maybe a bit from outside. Who's Sarah a bit more from the inside? <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you for asking that. Um, so yeah, I'm. Uh, my name's Sarah. I have been living in uh, in Berlin for the last six six years, but I'm originally from Philadelphia. And my career path took me through a few different phases. I actually originally was studying geography and urban studies, and this sort of ignited my interest in e equity and equality in society. And um, But I would say about uh, six years ago when I moved to Berlin, I, I really started thinking about um, the career path of, of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and thought more critically about um, tech and the relationship between tech and society. And um, that's that's a very short uh, <laughs> short story of a much longer story, but yeah, th this is me. I'm Sarah. I I'm always curious because I feel there's there's more to it. Those who are taking this path, which is a bit of a opening doors, opening channels, opening the seas, <laughs> and confronting maybe realities that uh, are not easy to digest, um, and uh, creating space for others. It, it's always very rewarding, but it's always very consuming, right? But there's always a bit of an energy that comes, I don't know, from somewhere else. Is there anything going back in time that you think somehow it, it was meant to be, if that makes sense, right? Like, 
is there any event or experience or yeah the way you also you know you moved countries i think by that you already learn a lot about the otherness let's say so um but is there anything that you think formed you <laughs> uh to to take this path yeah so i don't think i have to go back that far in time so the the research i did when i was studying for my masters was around access to maternity care um, and at the mo- at that moment in time in Philadelphia, a lot of the maternity wards were being closed. And there was a, a lot of debate and discussion on what does this practically mean, especially for women who are poor or women who are in um, you know low income neighborhoods, they just don't didn't have the same access to to care um, as as others. And it really got me started thinking about, these these society issues, these society challenges that have a very practical impact on individuals. Mm-hmm. And of course, that also relates to working in, in a tech company um, in Philadelphia and really thinking about how much power they have and how much influence they have. And often they have very good intentions, but they still end up making harmful technology. Mm-hmm. And I think those two things really influenced me a lot. And it. I I guess I was seeing this slowly pull me towards this path and um, thinking more about uh, diversity and inclusion in the context of of the the private sector. So what for-profit companies can do. Correct. I I also have this sense that, first of all, they are massive employers in general. So they have a lot of power by employing people and giving them the opportunity to create a better life, a better career, reaching their goals. But it's beyond the individual hired a lot of the times. It's for their family, for their community. There's There's a wave type of impact. Um, you've worked in the DEA space a lot in Germany and you've built a career there. How did you do that? Because I, I think you started at a point where chief diversity officers were not really a thing in Europe, I feel, uh, or they, they would not necessarily get the recognition, the budgets, the teams, and you've managed to kind of push through this space. I'm very, very curious how that experience was for you. Yeah. So even, even before I was working in, in DEI, I was working in community. So I, when I was in Philadelphia, I had organized a, a meetup for people who were working in the industry I was in, which was, which was at the time map making. And I really realized, oh, it's so, it's so satisfying to work directly with people, to work directly with a community of people who all have the same goal and are all passionate about the same thing. Mm-hmm. So when I moved to to Berlin and I, I started working in tech there, I got involved with an employee resource group. And that sparked the same interest in me of, okay, I want to work with people who are passionate about this topic of, of equity and, and diversity in, in the workplace. And, um, and my first job working in DEI was actually being a sort of project manager for employee resource groups. So mm-hmm supporting them to have a voice within the company, to have visibility, to be more strategically minded. And that was my introduction into the space in a professional way. But then I sort of transitioned to a more strategic role. So not just thinking about the grassroots side, but thinking about from the top down, how does a company develop a strategy that is impactful um, and not just window dressing. And I still remember, I think, some of your first LinkedIn articles about ERGs and how to set them right. Uh, and they were very inspiring and super helpful, super practical. And I know that also reflects in your book um, that it's a critical path, right? Like if you want to go in this space, it, it's definitely something that people need to tackle and, and engage with early on um, to get that yeah, support maybe <laughs> and reason, right? Uh, and purpose. Um, is there 
I, my sense somehow by talking to all the people on this podcast is it can also be a bit of a isolating journey or, or a lonely journey because one, maybe you don't have a lot of experts around you or at immediate reach um, or each organization is a bit different. So you start from a different place, you go to a different place, you go in a different rhythm when you build a career in this space. Um, so yeah, ultimately it can feel fairly isolated. Was there somebody or some kind of part within the organizations or outside mentors, coaches that were with you on this journey? Yeah, so there's there's been a lot of people with me mm -hmm. on this journey, and I, I think of um, you know the sort of the first person that hired me in in Berlin, which was Manjuri Sinha. Like mm -hmm. her and I, I still feel a really strong bond with her. Um, she's supported me as you know as I've had questions on my career path over the next years. Like, okay, should I take this offer? How should I negotiate? She was always there to give me advice, which I really appreciate. Nice. And then specifically in the DEI space, I think this is such a supportive ecosystem because everyone mm -hmm. feels the same. Everyone feels really lost. There's mm -hmm. no standard of what this role should be. And a lot of times people in these roles are under-resourced and under-supported. So um, there's a there's a good community of people around me. So I'll, I'll just mention a few people. Um, so Sandra Subel is someone who yes. I love, love sparring with, love working with. Um, also when I published my book, which I think we'll talk about in a second, mm -hmm. um, I, I reached out to a lot of friends and colleagues for their advice and, um, even invited some of them to, to co-write some of the book. Um, and yeah, that was a huge, a huge support for me because they also gave me motivation. Like, okay, this yeah. book is a valuable resource. Like, like add this to it, but it's, mm -hmm. it's, this is something the world wants to see. Um, so Jessica, Jessica Gadamu, who I worked with at Springer Nature was one of the reviewers of the book. Um, and there's also, you know, 15 people who wrote, um, uh, reviews and quotes for the book, uh, which you can see in the first few pages. And those, those people were all great, um, great supporters. So, yeah. And, and I'll just mention a few other people. So Floria and, and, um, Michael Martins, we organize a, a small group together of people nice. exchanging on DEI and they're, they've been, yeah, great, great, nice. um, supporters and, and, uh, yeah, allies for me. I have a new list of people who need to be on this podcast then. Yes. <laughs> Let's go a bit to the book, right? I think we, we just, we, we keep circling around it. Um, but a reason why this podcast exists for me is working and trying to build, let's say, more recruitment-specific DEI strategies and programs within organizations. There is a tendency to um, be sent or be indicated, just check this resource, which is a US resource. Or <laughs> And while it, I've learned a lot from that, and I think there is a lot of value, there's always a, a fuzzy area when it comes to translating those things into European space. And I think this is a lot of what your book does. Um, it gives concepts that can be easily translated into any location and any culture. Um, and that's super useful. But I'll let you kind of, yeah, dive in like, how should we use the, your book? How should we read it? How how do you see that impact maybe already? Yeah, so so I wrote this book because, um, you know, what I saw in the last few years was many, many people starting their first DEI role in Europe. And they stepped into those roles with a lot of optimism, a, very high expectations. And they immediately felt like they the role that they accepted was not what they wanted. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the internal support. They didn't have the expertise that they wanted. They weren't meeting the expectations of their colleagues. And 
it was a really difficult time for a lot of people. And um, we know that this, this, this trend to hire um, a first DEI specialist happened in 2020 after the murder of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. So there was a specific moment in time where a lot of companies realized for the first time they need someone working on this. And oftentimes those companies looked internally. So they looked to their HR team or their employee resource groups, and they tried to find someone who could lead this work. But unfortunately, companies often didn't do the work internally to figure out, okay, after we hire someone, what happens next? Mm -hmm. What what do we actually have to do to set that person up for success? And I I witnessed this both in in my roles, but also talking with friends and colleagues. And I thought, you know, we really are missing a handbook. We're missing a guide that says step-by-step, here's how to set your expectations correctly for this role. Here's how to put a strategy in place. Here's how to measure your success, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's sort of the motivation behind the book. And um, I also want it to be a resource that is sort of, it's whatever you need it to be. You know, Mm -hmm. if you just want to look at the chapter on employee resource groups, read it and then put the book away. That's fine. You know, there's no wrong way. You know, it doesn't have to be read cover to cover. You Mm -hmm. can just take pieces out of it. There's also an appendix in the back that has really mm-hmm. practical resources. So maybe you just need the appendix. That's also yeah. fine. Um, my, my idea was just to make a resource that's useful to people and practical. And it it's not something that requ- requires that translation or requires that like contextual understanding. It's, it's immediately useful to you. Uh, to call it out, it's called DEI, How to Succeed an impossible job. And I love the paradox of it, right? Like you're trying to tell people this is not impossible, but it seems impossible, but you have a lot of nuggets in here. So let's make it all possible. Um, A lot of people helped you. Uh, It is extremely easy to read, extremely easy to kind of plug and play. Ultimately though, it's still a hard job. If you were to kind of call out maybe some of the not necessarily. There's never a w- easy win. <laughs> I cannot mm-hmm. say there's an easy win. But in in your experience, having implemented a lot of these practices, right, and having practiced them yourself and seeing them in other practitioners in the market, you already maybe see areas of impact that are more obvious than others. Any particular things that stand out to you when it comes to impact on the communities you've activated in? So I would say the most impactful thing you can do is put a strategy in place. So not working in a reactionary way, not working with looking for quick wins, but actually mm-hmm. put the time in to put a strategy together and get alignment from your from mm-hmm. your leadership team and your stakeholders. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be one or two, pe- two pages of paper that essentially say, look, this is what we want to achieve and this is how we're going to get there. I think this is so useful because then the next six months, you're not constantly firefighting or, um, you know, you're getting inquiries of ideas and, uh, you know, why couldn't we work on this or why don't we sponsor this event? Uh, which all of that, lots of good ideas come to you, but it's also a lot of distraction because you end up looking down each one of those paths to figure out whether it's worthwhile and you can absorb all your time that way. Mm -hmm. So a strategy I think has the most impact because it lets you focus your time and put everything in one direction. If you've implemented strategies in a couple of different organizations, quite large in those ecosystems, Zalando is one of them, Springer Nature is another. Um, is there any particular point of pride for you? Is there like, I don't know, a, an event or a program or uh, something that now you, if I go in those organizations, they're going to, this is Sarah's legacy. <laughs> 
Um, I will say when I was working at Springer Nature, I worked on their first ever DNI survey. Mm-hmm. And this was a big undertaking because we launched the survey in 50 countries in 10 different languages. And we had to make a global diversity and inclusion survey that was relevant across all of our locations. So I'm very proud of that work because I felt like it was also innovative for Germany. Um, And I felt like I learned a lot from that experience that I brought into the book. So by the way, if you're also um, about to launch a DNI survey, please check out the book. There's an entire chapter about this. And in the appendix, there's a lot of example questions that you can put into your survey. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm very proud of that work. And I also feel like it was a really good opportunity for me to expand my skills. Would you say these types of surveys are the base of building that strategy? I think I've seen a little bit of both approaches when to implement, but what's your take here? I think it's it's hard. It's hard to say. I can, mm-hmm. I can see it both ways. Mm-hmm. I can see a survey as an initiative of a strategy. Mm-hmm. I can also see it as the preparation for developing a strategy. Um, my, my preferred approach would be to create a strategy that has some flexibility that lets you um, that might that might let you react to the results of the survey down the line and maybe customize the focus of your initiatives based on the insights that you gain. But um, what what I what I caution against is like, okay, well we can't develop the strategy because we first need to do the survey. Well, doing a survey will take six months, yes. and doing the analysis of the results takes another six months. So if you wait a year to develop your strategy because you're waiting on the survey, you lose a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know. If you can do something quick and easy, adding a few questions to an existing survey, I would say go ahead and do that before your strategy. Mm -hmm. But if not, I would work on the strategy first and then do the survey. Everyone, you also got a quick hit on how to do things on top of the story. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think all these um, are, are always questions, right? That um, even if you're not in a position uh, as an expert of DEI in a certain organization, if you're the CHRO, if you're somebody who is in TA, who is compen like there's so much a ramification that happens in all these functions, right? So I think everybody can just add a couple of questions <laughs> to their discovery surveys uh, that have to do with inclusion and uh, equity, right? Doing this work, is there anything that you were surprised around how hard it was? I know we estimate, I, I think you're a very realistic person <laughs> and practically minded, but I think we're all surprised and we have, all have our, let's say, positivity biases around like, mm, this this shouldn't be too hard. Um, yeah, anything that comes to mind, I'm, I'm very curious because I think we'll, I learned a lot from being surprised, let's say so, about things that I can do and I cannot do or... Yeah. First, you can't ever take anything for granted. Like if something mm-hmm. was easy in one job, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy in the next job. Amen. So something as simple as finding the sponsor in your executive team who will support your work, like that might be already available to you at one job and absolutely a huge challenge to find that person in another job. Um, but specifically, to, when I think about what is harder, I, I'm... I'm seeing a lot of companies now struggle keeping the momentum up right now in the current economic climate. So they're cutting back in different parts of the business. Oftentimes HR is is one of the the heaviest hit uh, parts of the company. And um, it's I think it's difficult to make sure DEI is still a consideration. It's still relevant. Um, it's still something that gets resourced and gets attention. And I think that, yeah, this is definitely harder than, than I would have thought. You know, I thought I would think, you know, if a team, if a company goes through the process of building up a team, 
of five or 10 people working on DEI, you know, why, why would you want to lose all of that? But then I look at companies who've, who've downsized their DEI teams and it's a shame because I know they'll, it'll take them a few more years to build that up again. For sure. And sometimes it's harder to fix than to build. If that makes sense, right? Like yeah. especially in organizations who have uh, created a sense of, yes, we're onto this, we're committed, and then you pull back that commitment. Um, where's the trust when you're going to try to do it again, right? So yeah, definitely a very interesting journey. And I, I really I really like the, the things that you shared around no company, no space is equal in a way. So whatever your strength was in one area might completely disappear um, into another organization and you kind of need to start from scratch sometimes. Um, let's, let's look at more, let's uh, future, future looking things. There, as you said, there is a certain reality now with organizations maybe pulling back their support or not necessarily creating the right path moving forward. Um, but I also see a lot of optimism and I don't know, uh, that's my take. Um, I feel there's a lot of grit and there are a lot of resilience already built in the community of experts uh, of DEI. Um, what are some of your predictions from this point onwards? Where are we going in, in this industry and building this industry? Yeah, I, I don't know, I'm, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm, I'm also optimistic. So mm -hmm. I think we're going to continue to see some of these peaks and valleys. Like I think we're not at the end of the recession and I think we're not at the end of seeing how companies might downsize their DEI efforts. And I'm not just talking about roles, I'm talking about their ambitions. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's a shame because I think it does take a long time to, to build that back up and to, yeah, to, to get that mo mo momentum back. Um, but I'll also say, um, you know, I'm optimistic about other things. So I, I would like to see a trend towards uh, global remote working mm -hmm. and creating opportunities for economic development um, globally. So not just in the headquarter locations of companies, but really recognizing that there's talent all over the world and that hiring that talent is, is good. And it creates a lot of economic development in, in oftentimes poor areas. So that's, uh, let's see. Yeah. Um, and then I'll also mention, I mean, I think AI is, is super interesting to me, like yeah. chat GPT. I mean, I, I'm using it right now all the time and I see it as such a, as such an opportunity to reduce the amount of time we spend on boring tasks mm -hmm. and be able to focus on more and imp more important tasks. So the, the less time I can write emails, the more time I can work and work on impactful stuff. So that I'm, I'm, I'm really interested and optimistic to see how that goes. Very cool. Very cool. And those are things that we can all do in a way. And we have some, so, some sort of options. There's also a bit of push from a compliance point of view. I see the legislative bodies of Europe in general, like European Union, but also then trickling down to individual states. It's very interesting. I think, I think we're in for a revolution here. Um, <laughs> let me, let me just reply to that. because I am also very interested, you know, there's, there's legislation in Germany that requires executives to tie, um, to tie their compensation to ESG goals. Yeah. And this is fascinating. And I, and I had such a good conversation with a friend about this where I explained the legislation and they asked me, yeah, but if, if the company fails to deliver, who, 
who gets the like who who gets the money? Does the company just keep that money and then they get to spend it on whatever they want? Like, does it go mm-hmm. to the com- Does it go to the, the employees? Does it go to a, a, a cause? Um, and, it, and it was such a good reminder for me that you know this this legislation sounds good in theory, but when you actually think about the governance around it and who benefits. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit more skeptical. So let's <laughs> let's see let's see what happens. What are the key things for you in terms of legislation uh, in the I don't know the past five years or the things that you see maybe already coming and being in in discussions or approvals? So a GDPR definitely had a big um, has a big impact on how we discuss sure. and collect DNI data. Yeah, and understanding the implica- implications is really important. Um, and also, you know, when I think about the companies that invest. In startups, um, it's also important for them to consider the DEI angle. So, so I do some work on the side with a with um, a, a VC that invests in early stage tech companies, and I really think a lot about like how do they assess whether a potential company is is inclusive, whether they're mm-hmm. diverse, um, whether their technology is is inclusive and equitable. Um, and so far, I haven't really seen any legislation that does. Um, that makes a positive impact there, but I'm, I'm hoping maybe it's possible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that we see this, but, um, yeah, it's, it's so difficult because the people writing the legislation don't always have the context yeah. and they don't really understand the practical implications. There's a very, I think there's a bridge there to happen, maybe hopefully in the next couple of years between legislative bodies, corporate world, but also community per se, right? Um, I see a lot. Uh, so now since I live in, in Barcelona, I attend a lot of the sessions that ESADE has on impact investing. And a lot of it is just basically ECG focused. Uh, a lot of them are actually focused on equity for, for individuals in these organizations and how they impact the overall. Um, but it is a, a bit of a academic slash VC world versus when the founders are like, should I get a B Corp certification? Should I get? And they're like, oh, it doesn't actually matter. It's fine. (laughs) So yes, there's definitely a bridge there. For me, I think the um, uh, pay transparency, Mm -hmm. um, it's really interesting. And again, as this has passed in many states already in the U.S., uh, each state has interpreted it in its own way and each company doubled down on the interpretation. I think there's going to be a lot of confusion for the next maybe two, three years, um, but very interesting to observe. And uh, you've you've been quite close also to executive um, uh, leadership. Do you see anything in particular as an impact from the legislation that says, I think 40% of your board needs to be gender diverse uh, or create some kind of equity in that space. That, I think it's less visible to, let's say, employees, um, but maybe you're closer a bit to that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's positive. I think it's, it's, it's always a good thing when we're, when we're encouraging that because I, I, what, I, what I heard was that um, quotas like this there are a blunt tool, but mm-hmm. they also work. So it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily perfectly defined and mm-hmm. it, it won't, it won't revolutionize your board, but if you actually look, um, it's, it's better than nothing. Yes. <laughs> and I think we need to see a diversity in that, le- in those leadership teams because um, it, it sets the expectation for the teams beneath it. So I'm less, I, I don't think three people on a management board really actually changes anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really down to those individuals and their perspectives on, on this topic. But if I think about that, that next level tier, so directors and VPs yeah. that look into that, I think they are, they are susceptible to role models, right? They're, yeah. they're, 
looking at those behaviors, they're, they're, um, mimicking those behaviors. And I think that has a much more, a much bigger impact because that also essentially trickles down further. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep an eye on it. Um, uh, Sarah, <laughs> what is in motion for you maybe already? What's next for you as a DI expert? Yeah. So I'm uh, working on my second book. So amazing. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so my next book is, is about, um, a DEI for tech startups. So it's, it's such an interesting topic because when, when a company forms, you know, they're just five or six people, they're trying to get that first round of funding. They rarely have time to think about mm -hmm. DEI. Yes. However, we know how important it is to get those first few hires, right? Yeah. Because those will be the the management team for for the company in three years, so I'm I'm really thinking about what is the practical advice I can give to those founders, so they can put the right amount of investment. You know, it's not just about taking what Microsoft is doing and scaling it down. Mm -hmm. It's about thinking about what are the levers, what are the biggest opportunities for the size of a company, and how should they spend their time and energy. Okay. Do we have a date? Shall I already pre-order? <laughs> I, I wish. No, I'm I'm very very early in this stage. Um, <laughs> but I also plan to to um, do a lot of work with startups in the meantime to sort of sure. build up my my expertise and understanding on this topic. And um, yeah, that's it's it's my hope that I'll maybe maybe early 2024. I would say. <laughs> I am very much looking forward to it. It's uh, it's very very needed. I think every time I discuss with, um, I, I actually had a very, I don't know, eye opening conversation with somebody from Gardner recently, and they do a lot of support for new founders. And I, I don't know, we were just talking about something completely random, but it came up, and I was like, how many of these founders that you advise, they had in their portfolio, like a, a couple of tens per person, uh, are not men <laughs> in their early thirties. It's like none. It's like what's happening in their teams. Oh yes. No, not, not, no diversity, no gender diversity, no ethnical diversity, at least for like this phase of we're trying to figure out how to build a business. I'm like, this is the critical moment. So yes, Sarah, you are at the right time. <laughs> Maybe we could have used this 10 years, 20 years ago, but it's <laughs> never too late. So I am highly appreciative for, for that and looking forward to it. Um, I'll book you a slot already to discuss about the next book in next year. So no pressure, no pressure. That's <laughs> um, Looking from this point of consulting, looking from this point of practitioner in, in internal roles and building teams and building energies, right? Synergies in this space. What would be, if you have any kind of call out to the industry, how do we mature this? How do we get it to a point where it's not going away? Yeah, this is, this is what, this is my secret hope. <clears throat> I guess it's not a secret anymore because I'm going to share it. <laughs> I would like to see more companies share their best practices. I think everyone is so afraid that they're not doing enough or yeah. their, you know, their, their budget is too small and their project is too minimal. So no one shares anything and it creates this vacuum where People who are doing actually really progressive work don't know that they're doing progressive work. Mm -hmm. And for, for something like DEI surveys, like I'd love to see more companies say, look, this is a survey we did. These were the three difficult things we had to figure out. Here's how we solved it. Here's how we solved GDPR compliance. Um, here's how we, here's what the questions we wrote. This is what we learned from this. But of course, everyone is afraid to be vulnerable and to admit failure. So sure. I understand why this happens, but I would just like to invite 
um, you know, DEI practitioners and, and companies to really consider being more open and sharing what they're working on. This is a podcast for sharing the platform for sharing. I do have very, very similar hope connecting all these dots, right? Between everybody who's working on it and learning faster, maybe, um, and creating that sense of community as well and getting out of that isolation. So one, I'm very happy you have found your space and you have found your people, um, but I am sure this is uh, going to go in, a, in an even bigger impact. Um, are you moving towards, I don't know, global, let's say, te teachings and expertise? Are you focusing more European Germany? Where are you placing your... So, so lately I've been traveling more and mm -hmm. not, I'm not in Berlin as much as I used to be. So I, I think I'm definitely thinking more European wide, um, and thinking about, you know, taking the sort of the, the blinders of, of, of Germany off and saying, okay, what are the challenges that other com countries might be facing? Um, but I'm still, I'm still very much EU focused. So I'm, I don't, I do, even though I'm American, I don't consider myself an expert on the, the topics mm -hmm. of, of the U S because I never worked in DEI in the U S and I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't, uh, take that, take that journey. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm thinking a bit broader than, than I was before. We need you here anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. I could talk to you for hours. I wish you the best of luck in, in the next adventures. I'm, I'm putting my, my calendar note, <laughs> January 2024. But I really want to thank you on behalf of all of us um, uh, activating in this space for the wonderful work you've been doing. And I appreciate you being on this podcast. Thank you so much. It was, it was so lovely to be here. Thank you so much for staying with us for the entire episode. You are the best. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe to the We Include podcast on Spotify or the podcast provider of your choice. And don't forget to share in your networks. It's highly appreciated. You can find me on LinkedIn for suggestions of initiatives and topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. They are coming out weekly. Till next time, take care.